What's going on, guys? This is MDLP with the Battle Axe Gym Podcast. Coming today with a special guest, and not just my beautiful co-host, Johnny Banks. Say hello. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back. Really excited today. Um, I know I say that often, and I might be just hitting the bang. I just had the flu, so if I sound like snot shit, it's not my fault. Um, But there's something very special about today, and it's because... We have been very proud to host some amazing and very strong individuals in the history of our short term in podcasting. And today we reached out to one man who was gracious enough to hang out with us for in the middle of his Sunday for a couple hours. He is a world renowned powerlifter, an engineer, an inventor, a well, I guess you can say a bushcraft man, definitely knows how to <laughs> fucking survive. And many other things that we're going to discover, as well as an author, um, we have Chris Duffin on the show. Um, so come say hello to us, brother. Hey, man. Looking forward to talking today. Absolutely. Man, you. Shit. <laughs> like, I hate, like, for the first 45 minutes, you can just going to hear the stupid, cheesy smile on my face. And then we'll get, <laughs> you're going to hear us. If, hear if, us if, 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 if I hear it getting too big, big I'll just, uh, I'll call you snot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just hang up. I'm like, I just thought, I'm like, wait, what happened? No, I'm just here by myself. Um, Chris, there's a, most of our, the audience that we, that listens to us is, is obviously strength dominant, but there's actually a lot of people outside of sport and what I would call non-strength athletes or other types of athletes. Can you just give us a quick introduction of who you are and what you've done so they kind of get an idea of who's on our show? Okay. Uh, you know, speaking kind of from the strength and fitness side, that is yeah you can yeah. you can give us yeah. a rundown of those accolades and and obviously where you are now okay. yeah correct yeah so uh yeah i'm chris duffin i'm co-founder of kabuki strength uh here in portland which is a, a unit company it makes uh, fitness uh strength training equipment and coaching and education uh, i've also co-founded build fast formula which is a performance supplement brand and barefoot athletics which is a you know, human to ground interface, so shoes, uh, things like that that improve uh, human mechanics. Uh, and that's really what I specialize in these days is, uh, you know, human biomechanics. Uh, my background is actually, oh, quite a bit varied. Uh, so <clears throat> I got a couple engineering degrees, master's in business, and all sorts of leadership stuff, but I, uh, I ran teams of engineers and, well, basically the entire uh, uh, companies and uh, aerospace manufacturing, automotive manufacturing, high-tech manufacturing uh, for close to two decades. Um, and uh, But uh, while I was doing all that, I've been a competitive athlete. Well, I've been lifting since 1988, as far as I can uh, tell from reading reading <laughs> old letters and stuff like that. Uh, so I've been in the game a little while, but I uh, uh, started powerlifting in 2000. Uh, I've been kind of around the sport for two decades now, and uh, I've been pretty well uh, done pretty well with that. Um, I've uh, I owned a, a gym on the side uh, for since the early 2000s, probably uh, while I while I pursued the other businesses, just so I could have the best training environment around, have the right tools, have the right environment, and uh, just got to a point in my life where I reevaluated my direction and decided to walk away from, uh, from that secure, well-paying career to, to go full-time into this field because I felt I had some unique skills and gifts to, uh, to help in those endeavors that uh, there were some big gaps in the industry that I wanted to see change. 
as a strength athlete, um, fairly well known. Um, I, you know, when I was powerlifting, I do I call it exhibition lifting now, but uh, is what I do now. But when I was powerlifting, uh, you know, there's almost a decade where I was ranked number one in the world uh, every year straight uh, for you know one of the events or another or the total. Uh, set all-time world records a number of times. And currently I own the Guinness World Record for the, the heaviest sumo deadlift. I'm kind of known for feet to strength stuff now. That's what I call the exhibition lifting, uh, where I've done stuff that's just very far from being duplicated by anyone else in the world, uh, like squatting 800 pounds every single day yeah, for 30 like days straight. That month one, I remember following you on Instagram, and then now you have your, your grand goals, correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm chasing right now. So actually, I set this path four years ago. Um, so when I I decided four years ago I wanted to be the first person in history to squat and deadlift a thousand pounds for reps. Time <laughs> nobody even squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds. Um, and so, <clears throat> both we're talking both people have done one individually, but they're more specialists in those areas. And so what I want to do is take a different approach and be able to do both at an extremely high level. And so the first, uh, the first one, so when I set the Guinness world record for the sumo deadlift, I did a thousand one pounds for uh, just shy of three reps, just didn't lock up the third rep. And at the time that made me the only person in history that's ever done reps with a thousand pounds on a deadlift. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Thor uh, did the same thing. Yeah. I saw uh, so that he's, uh, he's up there. And, and so, uh, so yeah, now I'm in the final culmination of that. Uh, so this March I'm going to go for a thousand pound squat. I'm hoping for somewhere between three to five reps. Uh, so far in the gym, I've hit it for a double. So I guess officially I'm already still the, the first person. I, I yeah. hit the goal, uh, but I have a higher, uh, higher goal. So I have an actual event that I'm uh, going to be doing this at. So, which is open to the public by the way. So. That's Anybody a, that's in the San Diego area that wants to check it out. What's the name of the show? Uh, it was, it's in uh, San Diego, right? ID something? I-H-R-S-A. Yep. It's the uh, Ursa show. It is the largest equipment uh, show in the world. And so uh, it is, anybody can go. You just go to Ursa.com, I-H-R-S-A.com. Uh, use the code WEBS20 and you can get free admission to the Exhibit Hall, which is where I'll be doing the lift on on the March nineteenth at two p- roughly around two p.m. Man, that's shit. That's Will you be awesome. doing any social media coverage, like doing a live from your from your Instagram for yep. people who can't yep. see it? It'll it'll be it'll be live streamed. We'll have uh, uh, videos uh, afterwards, and actually, this whole process is actually being caught in a uh, a feature length documentary, but that won't be out till probably next year, as it should. And uh, let me ask you something, Chris. Out of all these, obviously, there's you have a shit ton of titles, and I'm looking back at my life now. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm about to shut off the phone right now. Thanks a lot. Um, but in looking back on all these titles and all these accolades, is there anything that stands apart, something that you enjoyed the most, or has it all kind of been different aspects of your life or different paths that you've taken equally? Or is there anything that you just stands apart? Like that was my favorite that I've done engineering or powerlifting or coaching, et cetera. Um, well, I, I definitely have a lot of favorites as far as accomplishments. Um, uh, and, but it's, it's really, 
it, it all rolls together because it's to me it's it's not it's not about being a strength athlete and accomplishing those specific things. It's really uh, an extension of one way in which I can live the values in my life. And so for me, like I really enjoy this exhibition uh, stuff that I do much more than I did uh, competitive competitive powerlifting uh, because I really value one like creativity. Uh, the and you know that's a really big value for me. So being able to you know create these endeavors that are really allow me to express my my full potential. Uh, the other thing that is is really high up there is continual learning for me and this process. So those that don't know me, I'm, I, I'm involved with a lot of, basically a lot of the top researchers or clinicians around the world in, in regards to spinal mechanics, movement, um, you know, all, <laughs> a number of different disciplines. And so I have access to a lot of education from, from the best people, but it's really being able to put that together when I put my place in the, self in a place that I back myself against the wall. There's no way out. Uh, this is what I said I'm going to do. And when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to finish it. And there's just, it's not like one event, one lift, one, you know, three months from now, it is, hey, I'm squatting 800 pounds every day or deadlifting 400 kilo, 880 pounds every single day. Like you have to have things nailed and you learn so much in this process because your, your body, your mind, your neurology, like everything is just, on edge. So like practicing or implementing something different, uh, a change in your training or rehabilitation protocol that may normally take you six months or a year of testing to know if it works. I may learn in an hour, in a day, in a week instead. And so just like right now I'm training and I'm training at such incredible uh, volumes with a heavy weight that it's never been done before. And you have to, you have to be on your game on all these sorts of things. And in the process, the training process for this, I, I learn so much by basically putting together the research and the theory, but in a, in a world where I'm going to know instantly, I'm going to learn really what works and what doesn't and put myself again, like I said, against the wall where I'm also going to have to be creative and figure out solutions because there's no playbook for for this. You know, right now, my, my last training session, and my average squat load for session was 970 pounds for a total of seven, almost eight reps. Fuck. And, <laughs> that, and that's almost, that's done on a weekly basis. There's no one, there's no, no one that, that does, right no, no one's doing that. Yeah. You know, in the last two months, I've squatted over 900 pounds, probably 80 times there's no one that's ever even come close to doing this. Right. So what is the impact as you're, as you're fracturing, you're putting micro fractures into your implate, you know, every week. Right. That's what I want to And you're stressing your core and your diaphragm and just the minute change in a pelvis position, uh, you know, is going to drive certain things to happen. So it's, it's just, it, to me, it, it doesn't matter. It wasn't one specific event or the other, it's this process that I really, really enjoy because, like I said, it, it allows me, you know, I understand what my values and how I want to live, and this is an expression of that. So also it's okay with me, like, this is coming to an end. 
like this feet, you know, I'm turning 43 around this time. Doesn't mean I'm quitting lifting, but I'm changing direction with what I'm doing uh, because I can't sustain, you know, yeah. doing this sort of stuff on and on and on. And people are like, Oh, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, it's not the lifting that is, I have lots of other ways to, to, to live the way that I want and express the values that I want. Uh, so I'm not like locked down and going, Oh my God, what do I do with my life? Like, I'm actually excited about the next phase because I've got a whole lot of things uh, on my plate. They're just different, but they're still the same. Would you say that, and I'm me and John are, I wish you could see us because <laughs> I swear if you listen to like fucking 80% of our episodes, we've always mentioned that sport and the path you choose and this warrior mentality should be indicative of your character and who you are off and off, uh, in and out of the gym, etc. So you're just... You should just see our faces cheesing because we're just totally agreeing with you. Um, yeah. But to further well, that, put, that, 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 that's a whole great topic because I see so many failures in this regard, though, too, because, like, there's so many people that are incredible in the gym. And to be great in the gym, you've got to have work ethic. you got to have discipline. you got to be able to plan and execute a long-term plan and not just be focused on this workout. you got to be in the moment in a workout, but you've got to be working towards this larger goal that may be, you know, a training cycle, a year, whatever it is. And then you see these people like fail in the rest of their life because they don't even do those things. It's like you have the skills, you yeah. learn the lessons, you know about project planning, you know about delayed, <laughs> delayed gratification, you know about work ethic and discipline and putting in the time. You, you, know, <laughs> you know this stuff, but you don't put it in. And then you see other people that are really great in their careers in this stuff and they come in and they have to have a trainer because they don't realize that it's the same process in the gym. Yep. And, and like it, the gym is life. Like we, <laughs> maybe an overstatement, but the, really, the, no, the thing, it totally is, <laughs> but, but it is. Yeah. And uh, like my, my company, like I can't tell you how much of our staff is, is, is gym employees that I end up hiring after I've watched them train for years. And I know, ah, I know how you work. Because most people do. They're the same person in and out of the gym. But like I said, there's those other examples of the people that can't connect those dots. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, you, 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 you can train here, but you can't really work for my company. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, I think it's, it's, it, we say that and we agree at it. Jim, at least for us, it's like we constantly say how much it saves some of our lives. But also we've met some of the best people because in that, that environment, you are both pushing yourselves and you see people's true character upon failure and upon injury and upon receiving coaching yeah. and the hardships of sports. So absolutely. And, and, and the, and those connections cross what normally become connections where you have friendship outside. Yes. Like, Oh, they have a different political mindset. They're in a different social, you know, uh, socioeconomic background there. You know, you go into a gym and you've got the felon training with the, uh, with, with the police officer. Yeah, welcome because, to Miami. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because that stuff drops away. Right. Yeah, it, it, it You know, when you're really in that, that environment and you form these bonds on those those other really more important things than some of the, the things that uh, really kind of separate us in society. Yeah, oh, man. Exactly. It sucks because I, I don't want you to think I'm just like blowing smoke up your ass when I say <laughs> yes after everything, but fucking yes, like... It's something that we and, we and John, we, we constantly preach and, and we're very proud of, of what we've built amongst the gym and down here at the Battle Axe Gym and the culture. 
Um, but let me ask you something. You, for you to get to that next level, because I'm just seeing your, your evolution and conversation and stories. When you decided, for example, from, to go from engineering uh, to being a full-time you know, athlete and coach and business owner in the sense of biomechanics, and it reminded me a lot of when I quit my job to open up my gym primarily, and you said, take that step into the dark, because I've used that constantly myself as well. Um, would you say, and then you said decided to do the grand goals, and now you're off to your next step in life. Would you say you have to hit a certain level? Is it a personal a thing? Is it a number? For example, your success in powerlifting. When did you just say, hey, man, fuck it. I don't need to compete anymore. And, I, and I, I'm almost asking this for myself, but I know a lot of people do too. When do you know you're at that next phase? When do you decide, hey, man, I'm good. I'm going to do feats of strength because this and this, or I'm going to open up this particular gym or create this particular bar and go down this way? You know, when you're sitting there and you're thinking about those different uh, those different options in your life, and you get to that one, and it just starts creating a knot in your stomach because it's big enough that it's scary, and all the potential negative aspects start running through your mind, and you've got this mixture of fear, anxiety, but also excitement. And that's what starts creating that twist in your gut. That's the signal that it's something to chase. Because that means it's something that's going to allow you the opportunity to grow as an individual. To grow beyond the physical nature, but to grow emotionally and mentally, or maybe even spiritually in that process. And we need to stay in the practice of chasing that. This is the whole concept of training that we take in the physical nature is we adapt to stress. We know that there's a great workout, a great challenge. I'm going to sign up for a meet or a show or whatever it is. You've got those stuff in there, but that's how you, that's how you drive change in your body. We've got to have those. You don't go into the gym seeking comfort and you shouldn't go into your life seeking comfort either. When you found that comfort, that next thing's around the corner. That's when you, that's when you make that move. You know, I had, the, you know, the perfect, uh, life by all extent, you know, I, I was thought after like people would pay tons of money to, you know, have somebody be able to recruit me and bring me into their organization and do a turnaround on their, on their company. I was paid really well Had a house with a white ticket fence, wife, two kids, yeah. hobbies, owned the gym on the side, but I knew I wasn't taking full access of what I had to contribute to try to try to make the world better in a, in a manner that I could affect it. How long I knew that I wasn't pushing myself in front of my children and set an example to them that they can actually create in this world and live it in whichever way that they want. And it required a lot of, it requires a lot of introspection. It requires a lot of asking yourself why uh, to really understand who you are what you want out of life to get there and to set that. So when I made that call, it wasn't just, it wasn't just walking away from my career. That's when I made the call of, that's when I quit uh, powerlifting. That's when I told my wife I wanted a divorce. Um, that's when I paired off a number of like relationships in my life, but it's not just the pairing. It's like actually investing in taking that time and actually investing in the ones 
that are of value, that are creating synergy, that are pushing you, that have the right alignment like with you. And you've got to, you've got to reserve yourself for those. And, um, that's, uh, so I made a number of huge, scary changes in my life all at one time. Jeez. But it was to align it for the future. Like I wasn't going to be successful, you know, going and chasing what I wanted to when, you know, and trying to do better for my family, to do better for the world when I've got somebody at home that's constantly trying to, uh, you know, hold me back from that. To, and, uh, you know, I'm happily remarried right now, by the way. So, uh, with a, with a third child now, hey, uh, but better than you, than, better <laughs> you than me, bud, but congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it couldn't, it couldn't be better because it's, you know, getting the people that are aligned in your life that live those same values, want to, want to partner and create the, the, you know, the same things in the world. And, you know, they may be calling you to the carpet. So we're not talking about having yes people around you. That is by no means what I'm saying. Um, you know, I'm kind of went off on a tangent on your question, but, uh, I think it's a good, I think it's a good discussion point because a lot of people miss the point. Like it's not like they'll come to me with like some great idea for a product. Hey, Chris, can you launch this, you know, for me? It's this fantastic. I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. That's not what makes a business. That's not what makes life. That's not what makes things move. What does is relationships. Everything in your life is about having those relationships to propel you forward. And in, in business, in your personal life, you guys are talking about it in the gym yourself, just some, you know, in some of the discussion leading into this. Um, that is, and at the end of the day, like that's the most rewarding thing too. You know, that is, that's where I captured the joy in, that I had from my previous career that I spent all that time with when I was doing, uh, doing, uh, you know, the executive turnaround work and stuff was to come into an organization and change it. That means like coming in, challenging people, getting them engaged and getting like basically getting people to, you know, engage in their life, engage in their work, and, and, and do things that they never saw in themselves. And when you do that, like, well, that's coaching, right? Yeah. And that's how I brought change to the, it wasn't, yeah, I brought in different business philosophies on different concepts and stuff like that. And those are all tools and methods. And at the end of the day, very useful stuff, but it's really not the secret sauce that makes it all happen. Not, this one great product. It's not this great business idea. It's not, it's all about people. And so uh, you've got to make sure that you've got the, you know, that in your life. Um, and so anyway, the, the twisty gut <laughs> feeling that's, uh, that's it. Uh, oh, but they- you're asking about like when I made the transition to powerlifting and it, like all that, all this was actually at the, the same time, even the, even then, though, I didn't really realize I was actually making all those choices for specific, you know, reasons, the same reason, basically. Um, I just was looking at those individual aspects of my life and, uh, and trying to create everything that I wanted. I'm a very passionate individual, 
in areas that I didn't have passion for anymore, that's what I cut so that I could really create a laser-like focus for how I wanted to be in this world and what I wanted to do in this world in the example that I wanted to set for my children in this world. And that's hats off to you. And I, that's something that I think, well, we're listening to it right now. It's inspiring as shit. And I think it's a good way to, to live life. And obviously you're, you're doing it by example. And that's something that I think was important that you mentioned as you were talking there, the, was something that we say constantly here. This is one thing that I brought up in my gym constantly is, is the building of culture. And when you just said relationships and people, that's the first thing I tell people when I said, you know, how or why is your gym successful? I always say build a culture first because barbells and platforms Absolutely. are right. And that's just, I mean, it's just great to hear you say that and how important these things are because culture does leave a legacy, which I feel, and it's something I wanted to bring up is very big and very evident in your book and your text and your writing in your interviews. And it's something that I, we want to touch base. Uh, but obviously first, um, before we move forward, we did want to, if you want to tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote about, um, and I think it's going to, we're kind of leading that way because everything you're saying is something that me and John just, we're just cheesing about because it's, it's something we truly believe a lot of our listeners do, a lot of my lifters do. Um, if you want to just tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote, which is, I guess now makes you a fucking author, which is another one on the list. Bro. <laughs> yeah, another, uh, so check, check mark. Yeah. I'm going to say, since I know an author, like I'm pretty much an author right now. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> association. Yeah, association. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about that, and um, obviously I, I, your childhood, man, like fuck, <laughs> that is some serious shit. But of course I'll leave that to you. But can you tell us a little bit about your book um, and just kind of where we can get it? Yeah. So, well, uh, the book is The Eagle and the Dragon. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, comes in. Uh, audible format, paperback, hardcover, Kindle, all that stuff. So it's pretty easy to find. It's a uh, it's bestseller in like five different categories. Self-help, uh, human psychology, uh, health and performance, all sorts of, I don't remember all of them. But, and, but some of those categories, like I noticed self-help and psychology, I think are pretty Im- important because it, it is an autobiography, but it's not an autobiography. Mm. I use my story to articulate messages, themes, philosophies, whatever you want to call it. And the intent is to build a framework that can help people. Everything with my businesses is the physical nature of living better through strength. And so this covers those mental, emotional, or like I said, even maybe spiritual aspects of living better through strength. And you need all of this. Yeah. And so the, the book is titled The Eagle and the Dragon uh, because that's two tattoos that I have. It's kind of cheese, but, you know, that's, that's what it is. Well, actually, uh, I think one, if you go into detail about the tattoos themselves, it that, that, really brings it that's around. What <laughs> that, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So uh, the first one is I've got a giant eagle, you know, trying to take flight. It's running across my stomach. And then the second one is same thing, just covering my back. And each eagle has a chain around its, uh, around its ankle. And the chain connects and rolls down my leg and connects to, to a shackle around my ankle. And I had this tattoo done uh, about 20 years old. It's a, it's a pretty big one, and it's two eagles trying to take flight. 
And the, the, the thought process is that you can fly to whatever heights that you want in this world. At the end of the day, the only thing truly holding yourself back is yourself. So the first half of the book is really about finding your strengths, finding your identity. And it's a really important thing to, 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 to understand because I encounter so many people that identify who they are with something that's happened to them. And it doesn't even have to necessarily be like psychological trauma or something like that, but you'll get the, Hey, I'm this way because I've got alcoholic parents or I'm the guy with a bad back that's going to be in pain for you know forever, uh, and I'm limited because because of this. I am, and again, it's on and on these things that happen to them, and obviously those things are going to have an impact on you. But at the end of the day, you are defined by your actions and responses to those things. That's what you have control over, and that's who you are as an individual. And you really have to separate yourself particularly if you're someone that's dealt with, you know, some, some bad experiences, like understanding, yeah, those are bad things that happen, but that's not me. So this is the first half of the book is about that. Cause that's my life leading up to 20 years old. So I grew up homeless and we're talking like living in the mountains, homeless, living in a tent, living in a condemned, you know, uh, you know, some shack, uh, going to a, going down the stream with a gallon jug of water to, to fill it up so you could sit on a rock in the sun all day so you could uh, dump it over your head and have a bath in the evening. Uh, foraging for food, killing animals. And there was times, you know, during the year, particularly in the winters, where we'd find some, some low-income housing or stuff like that. I mean, there's other winters we, you know, lived lived in the snow, you know, Shit. living in the back of a, of a truck. And, and, uh, there's just lots of experiences that, that happen when you, when, when you grow up that way, because unfortunately when you're outside of society, a lot of the other people that are living outside of society are doing so for a reason to escape it. Right. So, and, and, and my parents too, like my mom was, you know, my mom was growing pot for a living. That's what she wanted to do. She was an incredibly smart woman. She was supposed to go to school to be a, uh, a, uh, uh, chemical engineer. My dad was a member of Mensa. Um, they were, but my mom just, she didn't, she had her reasons and I, I kind of cover them briefly in the book, but authority and society were things that she didn't want to be part of. She wanted to find her way in this world outside of that. And so she made choices and, and it made life really challenging for her and, uh, and us. So in, in the process, you know, I, I met murderers. Uh, there was drug running and drug use all around me. There was, I, I dealt with a serial killer. Um, I, I, there was human trafficking. There was, there's a lot of nasty shit that happened during the course of my upbringing. I was taken by the state for a while. Uh, and uh, then, you know, returned. This all was in the Northern California kind of wilderness. Uh, when we, well, returned from the state, we ended up going into the Oregon where things kind of were good for like a year. And then it fell back into the same pattern. At that point, my, my mom decided to stay away from the, uh, the drug trade, uh, because she didn't want to have the chance of losing, a you know, her kids again. But we ended up out in the mountains in Eastern Oregon 
learning logging and mining and whatever, whatever we could do to try to scrape together money. Cause you know, family of six or seven living off of $5,000 a year, oh, shit. a little challenging. I thought you were going to say 5k know? a month, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no. So we're talking, I was a kid that ever made fun of because I smelt, I had yeah. dirty clothes. My toes were sticking up the side of my shoes. When you see people that say that say they're in poverty, but they still got a freaking Xbox and an iPhone. Uh, it, I, 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 I just don't understand. I don't understand it. Cause it's just, that's completely different than the poverty that I lived in growing up. You know, we're talking, Hey, we, we've got literally a 50 pound bag of rice, a 50 pound, a 50 pound bag of beans to make it through the winter. Oh shit. Yeah. There's we there's weevils in the rice. Like we've got to dig them out and, you know, save the rest of the rice that Waiting we got for your next meal or real sneak poverty. up into the mountains and poach and poach a deer when we get the chance to, mm-hmm. because there's no other way. You know, I would, when we we're, you know, living in Eastern Oregon, I, every day I would go out in the field and catch grasshoppers, put them on a hook and go down to the stream and sit there and spend the day so I could catch brook trout. So by the time uh, the parents got back from, from digging, we'd have, uh, we'd, we'd be able to have some brook trout for dinner. Maybe find a puffball along the way, mushroom and slice it up <laughs> so we could, uh, you know, bread and fry it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the poverty I lived in. And, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of, you know, bad things that happened and, uh, things got worse actually at home when I left. So I, I did really well in school. I did really well in athletics and I had my choices of schools to go to both athletic and academic, but the best, uh, scholarship that I got, which was a complete full ride. I went to an engineering school with, uh, with no, uh, athletic, no athletics in the, uh, that I participated in anyway. And so I, I, I took off and really didn't communicate at home very much because anytime I'd call home, I'd end up having to send money home. Uh, so just, I didn't do that yeah, very that, often. That gets old. Uh, and then after a couple of years, I found things got really bad. My mom disappeared. My sisters were basically living on the street. And so I ended up starting to take custody of my three sisters and I raised them while I finished my engineering degrees, um, worked on my MBA, advanced my career, did all those. And that was in the midst. That's when I, when I had that first tattoo done. The second half of the book is more purposeful. And this is an Ouroboros. I had the Ouroboros done at the time that I did all those things. I just previously mentioned with changing careers, starting Kabuki, making a lot of personal life changes. And the Ouroboros is a giant uh, uh, dragon eating its own tail. It could be a snake, whatever, but mine's a, mine's a dragon because that's more epic looking, right? <laughs> so there's a big giant dragon head on, covering one of my texts. And the body wraps around my shoulders, around my arm, across my back, and comes all the way back around the other side. And the tail is you know, in the dragon's mouth, and it's eating itself. Sounds a little grim or grotesque, possibly, but this is uh, a symbolism for, you know, infinity, the continual renewal of life. Uh, a lot of different verbiage can be used for it, but it's it's really about the purposeful for me, the purposeful reinvention of oneself. But so eating the old and becoming the new. This is very 
specific. So this isn't about discovering your strengths, uh, finding your identity. This is about creating your identity, creating, deciding specifically, who do I want to be in this world and becoming that, taking the steps, the purposeful steps to become that person. And that is really that, that phase of life where, you know, I got to, to, you know, I was in my mid late thirties and I had proven to myself that I could actually become a, a successful, normal adult. And you finally, you finally was, wore shoes, huh? but now look at, now no one's making fun of your fucking toes when you're squatting a thousand pounds. I know, pounds, I, huh? I know. It, it all, it all comes back. I literally was running around the mountains barefoot, you know, uh, up and down hills with rocks on my back. And now I run around with shoeless carrying weights around. So everybody's like, cool, bro. I'm it, taking my it, shoes it took, off. It took, took me for five, 40 years to come all the way back around, but here I am. Yeah, well, that's the prime. That's the man's prime. And, 35, that's really, 45. But that's, uh, that's really the, 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 the fact of the matter. Like I, I got to this point and I looked at myself and I wasn't being, I had found ways to really find, you know, the values and beliefs and get as much as I could out of life that I was doing. But I found I really wasn't being my true authentic self. I wasn't being my authentic self for my marriage. I wasn't being my authentic self in what I was doing for work. And that's when I decided, you know, very specifically to, to make those changes in my life. And that's, uh, that's the, the second half of the book. And so as a whole, like I said, it's an autobiography. Every chapter has a theme. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to claim my life is worse than others or, or anything like that. But I will say that I've had a broader life scope than most people have had. You know, I went from being, you know, one of the lowest, you know, you know, uh, income in the United States and really having life experiences that people, uh, at least in uh, the developed world, really don't have anymore with growing up in the wild to becoming a, corp- you know, a thought after corporate executive doing turnarounds uh, being a world champion athlete and then going from there to just walk away from that to become, uh, you know, a serial entrepreneur. I hate the word entrepreneur, but I, I have to admit, like I've got four different businesses. Oh, you got to fucking uh, use it. Though, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, uh, okay. I, we'll I just say like at this creative point. wizard, which is just something cooler than that or something. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Creative. <laughs> I like that better. I just hate the, I hate the word entrepreneur. It's the thing everybody wants. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, okay. You're a waiter. Yeah, like I, I invented yeah, those I'm an entreprenuer now. I'm the CEO of the battle axe gym. They're like, <laughs> like that sounds like a badass shit. I'm like, relax, bro. I'm in debt. Yeah. No, nah, bro. You just watch a lot of Gary V. <laughs> yeah. Get my mom here. likes me a lot, but I'm a CEO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, I went that whole route and then, uh, and, and now putting out educational content and working with the best teams, <laughs> you know, in the world. I mean, we're in 90% of the top MLB teams actually here in Miami. It, David Beckham's team just ordered some stuff down there. Uh, yeah. We're in the NBA. Awesome. We're in the NFL. We're in the NHL. Uh, you know, we work with these teams on a consulting basis, supplying equipment, doing private seminars. We're in 500 different colleges. Basically, any of the top colleges that you would name, we're there. We work with them. And that's in a matter of four to five years. Like we're, 
we're everywhere. We got Tour de France teams. We got like people have no idea just truly how penetrated we, you know, the different uh, athletics and stuff that we've accomplished, you know, around the globe in such a short period of time because we've got real shit that actually drives positive change for people. Right. And, and so yeah, that, and too, that gives me, that gives me just a huge scope of life. And during the course of that, I had a lot of introspection and that's really what I'm trying to drive people to in this book is not tell them how to live, not tell them any morality about what is right or wrong about the values that you may have or goals that you may have in your life, but to build a framework for you to have some introspection and really understand these things yourself and then give you some practical tools of how you can align goals with values um, so that you can create a life that, that realizes those as well as the methodology around prioritization and things in life to, to help create the, the, the time that's going to be necessary maybe not necessarily the time, but the alignment of your activities so that you can accomplish uh, those things that you want. So it's, uh, that's why it fell into the, the self-help and psychology and other stuff uh, <laughs> as well. Yeah, I'm a psych major, so I'm like cheesing about it. That's something that I've always been a big, big believer in, and there's a psychology of sport. And it wasn't until recently, especially in the explosion of social media, where people just started to embrace psychology as such an important part of sport, um, instead of just a suck it up and don't be a bitch is like well i mean there's got to be action items behind that and how to do that and how to portray that message and obviously with what you're doing in the book there's there's action items you're not just describing a, a tough life you're you're kind of giving guidance on how you went about it and how things could go and that kind of brings me to a, a an important question as a coach myself an athlete and obviously you now having kids and being a coach because being a coach is like having children because that's awesome uh, that's yep. why my life will be short because coaching is rough on me but let's be serious it's one of the best things <laughs> in the world um, but I'm curious now that you have children um, and you've coached people that maybe not have come up with the same upbringing as you or the same kind of hardships or overcoming how do you portray that in a shorter amount of time or in a messaging system or maybe a particular type of philosophy where they can almost get an accelerated perspective of what you felt so that they can overcome their ways how could how would you say that to them or i mean prior to the book um instead of going like hey this is a good way in the book but when you're a coach um sometimes we come from a different i'm not going to say i came yep. from your particular school of thought but an old school way of thinking and then you know the new generations that came in how do we do that yep you know like one thing you know simple i'm just trying to get you know more out of a workout, a training process, or whatever it may be, is to really challenge a person to say, you know, um, about their identity and think, I don't know whether you're pushing as hard as you can on this. There's no one else can know that. The only person that knows is you. You know, are you cheating yourself? And today's an opportunity for you to know your true self-worth, to know how hard you can push yourself, to know these things about yourself. And this is a test for you to actually find what your limits are, your, your capabilities are, and uh, you know some messaging kind of around that sense because it, it, it truly is. Like it is, it is the, the practice of finding you know, what you, any given day, 
You're not the same person you were 20 years ago. You could have, you could have been, you know, a hero back then, you know, pulled some, you know, done some amazing feat, saved some children from a, you know, a, a burning car <laughs> or building or whatever it is, but you haven't challenged yourself in the interim. And what have you done? We all know what happens. You know, if you take it easy, if you, if you don't train, right, yep. you start atrophying, you get small. The same thing happens on those mental and emotional sides as well, which is, that's the really part of the, the side of the self-exploration and the workout is really finding those limits. How far can you, can, what can you push and, and, uh, and you can be soft just because you were one thing, one, you know, one day or one decade doesn't mean that you're the same for the rest of your life. So the question is, who are you today, right now? Find out who you are. Um, obviously you don't want those kind of workouts and stuff all the time, but that may, may be a, a, a tool to really drive that home to, you know, have somebody really find their limitations. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's maybe one way. That, that um, identity I'm not sure really if that's important. exactly what you were digging for. No, I, I really like that. The term that you used, and I think that was very important is as identity. Um, I think it, it, it's very, it's something that comes across when you're coaching 30, like, 40, whatever people. Yeah, they if if you're going to be a quitter, you're going to find out you're, you know, you know, like nobody knows this. So find it out yourself. And then the only person you got to report back to is yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but, exactly. Do you know Go yourself. out there and find it. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that we, we talk about at the, a lot, uh, at the end of our podcast a lot is the voice in your head at the end of the night. You know, if that voice is patting you on the back, you've done something great for the day, but if it's calling you out for your bullshit, it's only you at the end of the night that's listening to yourself. It's not your coach. It's not your loved ones. And it, it really truly is about identity um, and that self-worth that you put in, whether it's the work. It's, it, it's not whether you won or lost. That you put it all in. If you put it all in, you can go home, home happy with no matter what the results are. 100%. Uh, yep. Uh, that's exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it t- brings me to uh, a line you had in your book where you're talking about where you do reach those goals and you find that success and you say it's important to acknowledge those, but it is also important to not be seduced by that, by that voice. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a great point because I feel like a lot of us, uh, especially as athletes, once we've tasted success and recently uh, there's an issue I had this year where I competed twice and I, I did pretty well for, you know, someone who was just coming into it, but I had about, maybe two or three months where I was literally just couldn't get fired up because I had tasted success, you know? Mm-hmm. It's easy to fall into that, you know, resting on your laurels. I did this. I'm, you know, but, uh, that's, it should be right back into the process again. Evaluate how I did. What are the opportunities? Where can I go from here? And, you know, take a moment to acknowledge because you're, you know, Hey, I moved a step forward but I'm still on a path and there's a lot more steps in front of me. That's right. So, you know, acknowledge, Hey, I moved, I moved. Um, and I think that's one aspect. Some people that are really driven, never take that time to, uh, to really, they live this life where they're never satisfied, always unhappy. And there's like I said, you've got to take those moments. You've got to celebrate, particularly if you're with a team, uh, you know, when you're running a business or things like that, you got to say, hey, we did a fantastic job. We need to recognize this. But 
and we got to get back into it Yeah, because you know, uh, the world moves on and there's somebody else up and coming. There's another company that's going to be around the corner and site, you know, step in. Um, and you know, we see this happen all the time in the, in the business world. There's so many, uh, things that you can look at that go, Hey, what, you know, what, what happened? What happened? Yeah. What happened to those type? What happened to those typewriter companies? You know, they, <laughs> they were huge, massive companies and now they're nobody because they didn't stay on their game. Yeah. They didn't stay like the world is changing. I've got to be on top of this. Nope. We're, we're the best. We're the best typewriter company in the world. We're going to keep doing what we're doing because we are the best. Yeah. It also ties in with that, uh, the continual for me, like one of my values being, you know, continual learning. Like you, yeah. you see this all the time with people that, you know, get trained, become an expert in their field and they do the same thing. They're like, ah, I know it. I'm good. I'm really freaking good at what I do. And they just quit. They, they quit moving forward. They quit staying on top of your research. They quit, you know, and, and, uh, they're going to get bypassed because the, the knowledge base continues to expand. We continue to understand new connections and how things work together. And, uh, you've always got to be trying to find more. And this is, this is a, uh, a theme that I'm not sure how often it shows up in the book, but it uh, shows up in our philosophy as a company and as coaching uh, company as well. Quite a bit is this phrase and that is there is always more. And we repeat this <laughs> all the time. I, I'm going to send you a fucking shirt more. I'm going to send you a so, shirt, Chris, cause we, we just, uh, we have a shirt. We have a we have it actually part of a whole podcast. I don't know if you're familiar. I mean, I, I'm assuming you're a history buff too. Um, but during the Salem witch trials, there was a guy called Giles Corey who was pressed to death because he wouldn't admit that he had any kind of um, association with witchcraft and and so so on and so forth. But his last words before they finally crushed him to death was when they asked him if he would repent or anything like that when they were putting stones on him. He simply replied, replied more weight. And that's something that we use as a philosophy at the gym here, as far as on the podcast, when life gets hard or, you know, when you're going forward, this is another thing that we do, uh, you ask for more weight. So when you brought that up, <laughs> yep. we were just like knocking shit over here on the table. Like, <laughs> yeah. yes, bro, there's always more. You ask for more weight yep. as opposed to the easier path. But, yep. but it's not always just a, like in the gym we have to separate it from. It's not always just putting weights on the bar. No, philosophy wise, like more, actually is more. There, can I? Can I move, can I move better? Can I put more effort into it? Can I, there's so many, there's so many different ways. And like, that's one thing in the gym, we get too focused. It's just always more weight, but that doesn't, there's a lot of other paths to, to better. And can I root better? Can I, people come to me all the time. Oh, you've got that bracing thing mastered. You must not like, I still work on it all the time. (laughs) Cause there's always more. I can always be, better yeah. and they're like whoa you still like yes i still i'm not perfect there is no such thing as perfection there is a north star that we're always trying to this is perfection you know and you can create that in your mind whatever that north star is this perfection thing but you can never actually reach it but the process is always moving one step closer always taking a step towards that north star instead of taking a step, you know, to the left or the right or backwards, right? Focus 
if I have clarity about what perfection is, I can keep moving that direction. I'll never find it, but I'll always be getting closer. There's always more. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's, man, I'm telling yeah. you, man. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Exa- it's exactly what we were. We're, and and the term obviously more weight meaning uh, as in a philosophical spiritual spiritual concept, not necessarily <laughs> just weight intensity. But we're on the like, literally on the same page, and it's great to hear it. Um, and I think it. No, it, I wasn't disagreeing with you. No, no, totally. Clarity totally. to the audience. Uh, yeah, we're, t- we're speaking to our audience just in case the the ones that aren't listening listen up, bro. Um, <laughs> but let me ask you something, and it, it it's something that you had mentioned about fear um, and embracing your fears, and you mentioned one of the quotes that you know if you just if you're fearless, that leads to being reckless, and yeah. it's it's something I see uh, well personally in myself until I got fucked up, and it's something that I, I loved because I was, I did listen to your Stu McGill podcast and your biomechanics. Well, I hurt my spine pretty shitty. It was an accumulation in 2017. And so I've been following you for quite a long time, actually, um, for years, even before the Duffalo, et cetera. But I love to see the progression, how you started reaching out to professionals and things that you know and made it live into podcasts and videos and overcoming these things with, with being reckless. And there's a very thin line between being somebody who's courageous and fearless and then just playing out, you know, reckless and, and almost dumb. And I'm curious as far as your perspective on that, not only as a businessman, you know, taking the jump into, shit, I'm going to create a bar called the Duffalo Bar and fuck it, man. We're just going to invest, you know, how many, you know, certain amount of money and this is going to roll. And then if that's a good idea or fearless or reckless or confident. And then as an athlete, shit, I mean, you're, you're, you're deadlifting a thousand pounds for three, dog. Like, let me be very serious. That's fucking nuts. But, you had mentioned it with a plan of attack and a, and a plan forward that maybe it's not necessarily fearless, but it's like you have this particular plan of confidence. And I just want to hear your perspective on when or how that line gets blurred and how easy it is to, to make that wrong step. Uh, it, it can definitely be easy, especially for very aggressive, uh, individuals. Right. I, uh, I, I, I kind of think about it. A, a, a good way to explain it may be the same way that I, I talk about the process of finding and exploring your limitations when you're in the rehabilitation process. And it's really about, there's a line. You need to be moving. You need to be adding load so that you can actually make progress, right? And so what you want to do is work up to, work up to those edges of pain, Right? So imagine the edge of pain is, a, is the edge of a cliff. And every day what you want to do is you want to go up. And you want to see where that edge of that cliff is. Because every day it's moved a little bit. And peer over the edge. But never, never jump over the edge. Right. You want to know where it's at. And that allows you to be able to pushing against those limits. Like, there it is. I can feel it. I know I'm right there. And I'm staring into the abyss. But I'm not, I'm not just running wildly and leaping off. So I think that was like a, a, a good way to look at it. I also think about, I tell people you have to have the practice of living in fear. So you need to, you need to put these things in your life that actually scare you on a, mm. on a, it's to me regular basis. It could be, uh, a, you know, a, a, a challenging project at work that the boss throws up to the team and you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to like hide in the corner and not take that on because like, no, 
I'm going to take that on. Like that's the practice. It's the, Hey, there's another job change coming up and you know, it's, it's a little scary to leave the current and work environment. Okay. And, but God, that's really exciting. It's scary. There's some risk in it, but it's not. And just like if it makes that gut twist and it brings that, those feelings, then you know, it's the right, it's going to bring some opportunity for you because you're staring into that abyss to a certain level. Right? And so get up there, take that on because you want to be able to respond well when these things that you don't anticipate come at you in life. Cause again, you don't know when a car is going to come up and sideswipe you and all of a sudden everything in your life changes and you see people when this happens, you know, maybe it's a, uh, somebody in their family passes away or just some term, something really big happens and they literally lock up. They can't respond. They can't react appropriately. They're, they're incapable of really managing themselves or their life. And you need to, to get to the point where you're able to, to, to respond appropriately and that you can manage those things. So for example, for me, I put myself in some pretty scary situations. Um, but I know how to work against, I know I can work through it. So, you know, maybe about two months ago in the, yeah, in the range of eight to 12 weeks ago, I had a few different workouts that I got slightly out of position on. Maybe the bar dipped a little bit on the left side, whatever it was, I was in so much, you know, pain and tightness that I could not walk or stand for the couple days following so much pain and inability to move that I guarantee most anybody would be at a hospital trying to get medication, ensure that their lifting career is completely over, or if they worked around it, it's going to be six or nine months before they're back in the gym again. Okay. And I, in my mind, you know, my kids are distraught because they, you know, see me not moving, moving well. And, hobbling around, uh, and don't worry, daddy fixes himself. I always do. Mm. You know, people at work, they, they, they're used to seeing me. They've seen this before. And I'm like, so, they're like, you're going to be okay. I'm like, don't worry. I'll be back and I'll be squatting next week and turned around. And I did that both occasions within a week. I was turned back around and I was squatting eight to 10 reps over 900 pounds. <laughs> but here's the caveat. I knew for a fact I could do that and I had the confidence to do it, but I knew that I couldn't tolerate that on a weekly basis. So I had to figure out what was wrong, what I did wrong and make sure that it doesn't go wrong. And I put the right things in place because I could tolerate that intermittently here or there. But if that was an every week basis, there's a train wreck that's going to come up and hit me and I'm going to be back in a walker again. So it's uh I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for, but these are, you know, some stories, some analogies, some things like that in a few different directions. Yeah, no, you, you, you nailed it, man. <laughs> but I have the confidence because I know the skills, I know the process, I know that I, I, I know, you know, and, but there's still a level of fear. Like I, I, I can't pick up my kid. I can't walk up the stairs to go to the bed, bedroom. I can't bring, I can't bring my bag in the house. Uh, those types of things too. make you really cause a lot of self doubt questioning all this stuff going on. Like, is everything going? But at the other side, I've been through this before. 
I know the process. I know I've got the skills. I know I've got the resources to pull off what most people would not be able to fathom that you could be able to do in a matter of a few days. And Chris, let me ask you a question. Um, and I, and I, and I, uh, don't worry if you're really off topic I'm be like, you're super off topic. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say shit. Um, I, I noticed something that I, that really reflects deeply in, in what you said um, when you told your children and your coworkers that kind of knew that you're going to be okay. Um, that when you get hurt or you are assuming ex- ex- experiencing hardships, et cetera, both physically and, and mentally, how, and I, it's something I just, it resonates with me because it's something I've said and something I believe. How important do you feel that your consistent action and how much of an impact does it, does it really have on the way people perceive you overcoming hardships? Because I feel that a lot of people get affected um, when they're trying to overcome an injury or they're having a bad day because people look at them a certain way, kind of like you would look at a, like a, an injured mm-hmm. puppy as opposed to an injured lion. And I'm, I'm, yep. I'm just curious on well, how much of an impact. You oh, my God. All those micro interactions, the, the look on someone's face, the body language, the, the tone of voice when they go, are you going to be okay? Like all adds up into this, a whole bunch of negative experiences that make you think that you're not going to be okay mm. or question it. And you've got to be, you've got to stand strong and be confident. And you've got to be confident, like I said, you'll have self-doubt, uh, but you've got to clear that from your mind at the same time and go, I know the way, I know the process, I know this can be done. Um, this is what I referred back into I'm very opening uh, of the, when I was talking about the book, that somebody that defines themselves as, I'm the guy that's in back pain, that's going to be in back pain for the rest of my life. Yeah, you are. Because you believe it. Fuck yeah. But well. it, it, you've got to sit down. I'm not saying... The belief, like, this isn't, uh, God, who are those, uh, um, those, uh, self-help gurus that, uh, say that if you put the everything in the universe is all, all your, the Bob, Bob Proctor's in the, uh, yeah, just think uh, it's going to happen and think it, it'll happen. Yeah. You know, it's just freaking ridiculous. Like the manifest don't your spine it, recovery, but you must, but at the same time, I still believe like, because you have to have that confidence to be able to go to have to be able to put in the effort and go and continue the drive and try to find the resource and experiment and just keep going and going is, is the belief that you can. So, so you must manifest those thoughts so that you can work the process and do the thing, but just the thoughts themselves. Well, <laughs> that does not actually Shit, I'll create tell you, some magic in the universe. If and thinking all sudden, really did that, I'd be fucking six, four with a huge <laughs> personality, if you will. <laughs> massive, massive personality. <laughs> exactly. So, so there's, there's some concepts that like, I, I laugh at those guys, but at the same time, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, believing that you can, you know, really mold the world and create this stuff around you and perform some sort of magic, you know, yourself. But, you're, you're not, but you have to, you have to have that mindset to really drive through that. I can fix this. And that's the thing. It's, I can fix this. Mm-hmm. Not, I can, I'm going to, you know, have somebody again, I'll use the back person, uh, because we see like so many people that go in for therapy and they go in expecting they're going to, they're going to fix me. They rely on all this passive stuff instead of like, I need to own this. I need to own cause I own my life. 
and it's during my life that I have the opportunity to, to heal and recover and not do more damage if I understand these things and put it in place. Like, you have to own the stuff yourself and then have the confidence and then display the confidence around you so that you can not have that negativity coming in towards you. And that becomes easier and easier the more that you hit those wins. In fact, when I uh, set the grand goal, the plan all along was to to uh, squat and deadlift 1,000 pounds for reps. But what did I say? I said, I'm working towards squatting or deadlifting 1,000 pounds. Because I knew and I had the confidence of where I was going, but I knew if I threw something so outlandish out there, there'd be so much negativity coming back that you can't do this, that's astronomical. But as I get closer and it's, people now realize, oh, you can do this stuff, I'll start laying out the rest of it. So it's just like the guy that comes in the gym and he says, in five years, I'm going to be a national champion. I'm going to, I'm going to deadlift about 800 pounds. And everybody's like, yeah, right. Well, maybe he will, but you shouldn't be doing that. You should, you should be keeping that stuff really close to yourself early on because you're actually going to create more negativity by throwing out these outlandish claims. So you can do it to a very, very close inner circle. Okay. That, but you've got to build, you've got to build where people believe you when you say these things. Yeah, you got to earn it almost like earn it for you yourself first. It. Yeah. So earn one step and that gets you the next step and the next where, uh, and, uh, um, because yeah. <laughs> and we see that all the time on social media because people will be making these outlandish claims that are, new to whatever. And it's like, yeah, I know everybody is going to be a world champion. Everybody's going to out deadlift Eddie Hall. Uh, right. got it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then everybody's like, Oh, then they get like a sprained ankle. They're like, Oh, going to go ahead and find yeah. new things in my life to try. You know, this is not who I really am. I'm like, shut up, man. If that was really who you are, <laughs> yeah. so you had to fucking fix it. I just got sponsored by bang so. energy. Yeah. I just got sponsored. I'm out. We're out of here. So. Um, and but yeah, I mean, I, I, a long time ago, I, I, I knew I was going to be, a top lifter in the world. And you know what I told people around me? I said, I'm going to set the state records. <laughs> that was my goal <laughs> that I disclosed because yeah. I was a 500 pound deadlifter and a 500, you know, well mid, you know, five, 600 pound deadlifter and a five, 600 pound squatter. Okay. Like I, I, I did not have the authority to make those statements. And if you did, it's going to just create more negativity. That's going to make you not do it. So, Anyway, just uh, again, I think it's another. a good point you bring up on this. I think, and this is a personal opinion. A lot of people will what they do, and unfortunately, it's kind of. I don't have anything against social media. It's just things that I observe on the socio psychological perspective. A lot of the people will generate these massive or impossible kind of goals, like outlandishly publicly, so that they can get the negative energy, and then just propel their career with. Oh, look at me. Look at these negative people attacking me. Look at these negative comments. And that's really just ends up being their entire social media career, which is uninspiring at best. And it seems yeah, I'm not saying I, it's a, I, you've I, seen I, that. I, 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 I'm, I'm hated. Yeah. They feed off of it. And uh, yeah, and again, I look at me. I must be good if I'm hated. So come, let me coach you. Look how right I am because I'm hated for what I'm saying, you know, and look at these non believers. And, uh, you know, you're right what you're saying. Like, you haven't earned the right to say you're going to be a world champion if you just beat people down like in your gym and in your block, like that doesn't make yep. sense. But yeah, that's uh, I, I think I got 
completely off topic there, but it's uh, I, I think it's an important thing to note because yeah, I'm definitely one that is I do some outlandish things, right? And uh, but I yeah, no, no, and it, I think it's important because my it really kind of comes into my next question. Um, and we do have to understand that the changing of the times, the changing of the generation, people are a lot. We don't have to necessarily say that the current human being is stronger than they've ever been, but certainly there's more exposure to strength in the world right now. And there's a lot of people being exposed to people doing, well, what you're doing, you know, 20 years ago, you maybe how many people would have known now millions of people know what you're doing. And if there's something you can tell, and I, it's going to have a kind of a two part question, but I'm not trying not to forget the second one, but the first part talking to this generation coming up, I mean, I'm 35, so I'm, I'm kind of in the middle towards the end of that generation, but the next generation coming up, these kids that you're seeing and their strength and their, their ability to explode and how fast they're becoming or how fast and how strong they're becoming for the size of their character. What is a couple of things you would tell the next generation of lifters that you've experienced as far as a coach and being an athlete of you coaching these people yourself that they should really look out for or, or, or watch on the horizon as they continue to grow in strength. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing is helping them understand the, uh, the long-term process that it takes that being fast and strong is, is great. But if you push everything hard and now just to be relevant every day, every week, you're going to hit a wall and, and you're going to hit a struggle and you're not going to, you haven't really got to the point of learning to overcome adversity, to overcome time. I've been at this a long time and I can't tell you how many people that I've heard are going to be the next greatest thing. This some 20 year old pops up and does something phenomenal and they're in it for five years and then, you know, some injury happens and they disappear. And you got to be thinking like, 15, 20 years, like maybe not 10, 15 years, like whatever it is, but that to be great, to be truly great and not a flash in the pan, you've got to learn some consistency and the ability to overcome and work through these things. And, and, uh, that's where the pedal really, where this is what actually really separates the elite from the non is the people that can take one of those major catastrophes continue moving forward. And then also from your training, again, I kind of said uh, that a little bit earlier, but like not trying to be super relevant every single week, every month, um, every day, because that's not going to lead to really uh, an effective way of managing your training. So, I mean, look at, just scroll through my Instagram and you'll see big giant gaps where I'm, you know, year long gaps that I am not producing any epic, you know, feats or doing anything that's really uh, interesting on all, on that front. Yet then there's times where all of a sudden now I'm posting, you know, stuff that people are like, oh my God, that's freaking crazy. Well, it's not like that year over, you know, over the entire course of the year. It's not like that from year to year. Like what I've been working on, that's specifically a four-year development cycle to do what I'm doing right now on top of, you know, 25 plus years of training before that. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, so, um, but to tell them that also they, they've got the greatest amount of resources in the world. Um, you know, I, I had 
you know, when I started lifting, there was, there was really nothing available. You could get Arnold's encyclopedia bodybuilding and, and Bill Pearl's, uh, you know, book. And that was, that was about it. You could probably find some muscle and fitness with some made up workouts in it. <laughs> and then how but, to use drugs at the end too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I started powerlifting, I didn't know what a deadlift was. I signed up for a meet and I'm like, what's this deadlift? And now today people be like, you didn't know what a deadlift was in your, yeah, they just sit there roasting. Like, well, you're exposed, you're exposed to all this stuff. So yeah. really what the skill today becomes is there's so much great knowledge. It really becomes down to filtering is the key, the key component of being able to filter out what makes sense, what does it and how to connect, uh, and how to connect all those dots through the commonality. And, you know, that's, that's why we see so much advancement now with some of the athletes out there because the knowledge base and the tools available to us are so much more profound, but you can also get lost and a million different gurus putting out some quack science, trying to, or your, your, your most hated person or whatever it is, like whatever coach or so on that just doesn't have good content or a good marketer. And so being able to filter that stuff out. So hit a lot of points there, uh, but being able to filter knowledge, being able to manage your training independent of what your social media is doing, and and then being able to work through long-term issues. Hey, I, I messed something up. It's going to be a nine-month, year-long recovery process. Yeah, it is. It's a great opportunity for you to do that and earn that right and move to the next phase. Those are my three points. Pointers there. We're gonna fucking. I'm gonna just quote that shit and put it on a t-shirt. Um, and it's it's something that it always has made me. I don't like saying it, but it's something that's very true. And it's kind of like you would want a coach that has unfortunately has had to overcome a hardship, and it's typically an injury. You know, there's some people who are fortunate enough to never get injured. They're very lucky, or you know, they've done the right stuff. But injury happens yep. to the best. But they don't. They don't. They, they they can't understand really the state that you're in, right? The psychological, right. the physical, like all the stuff. Yeah, and, and that's something that I've seen now. Like, and it's, it's a question, almost a comment is, you see these, two, you know, two, maybe one to four year phenoms who are world champions, the strongest you've ever seen, and then the guys that have been in the game for twenty twenty five years are almost looked at like, okay, you don't really know anything because you haven't hit a eight hundred pound deadlift recently, or you've never won a world title but they've been resilient, they've overcome hardships, they've built athletes there, but they're in the shadows roughly to the people who are coming up and just freak strengths and not all of them. I'm not dogging on anybody like that, but just in general. No, but I, I know but what you mean. Like people, it, yeah. are, people are looking to that genetic freak as having all the answers. A great athlete does not make a great coach. They're two different skill sets. It, <clears> doesn't, mean they're mutu- it doesn't mean they're mutually exclusive. Correct. It doesn't mean you can't be a great athlete and a great coach but they're certainly not mutually inclusive by any means either. Look at any other sport out there in the world. We see this all the time. How many of the great coaches were great athletes in those fields? I mean, not many. Yeah. Look at boxing. They're great. They're great coaches, but somehow in powerlifting, you know, it's (laughs) well, whoever's the hottest right now and is lifting the most must have some secret. I need, I need more. Look at all those hot athletes in all these other fields. How many of them go on to be coaches? Right. Very mm-hmm. few. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, again, it's not saying you can't be both, but 
there's certain skill sets, and they're not the same skill sets. And I'd say that but you certainly learn through experiencing and doing those things, and that's that's another point as well. Like you've got to endure those hardships. You've got to learn how to be able to coach people through that stuff at the same time. But that doesn't mean you have to be, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be Eddie Hall and have the highest deadlift ever. Right. And, and speaking of, of, this is something I always touch base on. I think all of us have always been interested in that. And, well, I know you've been through some shit. Um, is there any particular injury? And like you said, it doesn't necessarily define who you are, hardships, like you were mentioning earlier in the show, but definitely how you respond to it that is life-changing, that is what would represent your character. Is there a particular injury in your life or a series of that was just... This is this is this is going to be one that stands out for the rest of your life and how you overcame that. Oh gosh, Ooh. I wouldn't say that there's any one though, and I've had a lot. I'll, I'll admit. <laughs> I was going to say uh, for, being, for went, being a move. Yeah, when you went ooh, for being I'm like, a there's a guy. resume there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that's one of the areas I take criticism from because people are like how can you be the movement guy when you're all broken and busted? I'm like, why do you think I learned this stuff to help people not have that happen? Do as I say, not as I do jerk. <laughs> so, <laughs> and also things are going to happen when you're exploring the extent for your benefit, because I learn in the process and can help you, uh, of what the, the human body is fully capable of and being able to accept the risk that comes with that, that I would not put a client through because it's, Anyway, it, but, uh, um, no, there's not, there's not anyone. I mean, I can't, I've torn so many muscles off and I, I'm missing a hamstring right now. What? Um, <laughs> Where'd it go, yeah. bro? Just casually missing well, a it, hamstring. <laughs> it, it, it's, I, I ripped it off when I was, that was the final day I pulled the 880, uh, deadlift. You see me, uh, Fuck, finish right, a lift and kind 30. of scream a little bit. Yeah, I detached one of the hamstring heads, and they were not able to reattach it. So people are like, that's one of the things. Like, Chris, when are you going to show up and do a meet? I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need to explain all the reasons, but here's one. I'm probably <laughs> never going to deadlift as much as I did before because I have one less hamstring. Fuck. I'm like, why, you, why don't you swap without wraps? I'm like, I don't know, because my knee doesn't stabilize very well. If I have heavy loads and stand in a locked position, it starts vibrating. Like, <laughs> you know, but you don't see me also making excuses for it. And, and, uh, yeah, you don't see me making excuses for it in, in every post saying, Oh, look at me. Oh, I'm overcoming this. We're doing that. These are just things that you, you deal with. And, uh, uh the, the most problematic, the most problematic for me has been, uh, my destroyed elbows. Um, and it's really more of just like, daily life. Like I can't feed myself very well or do a lot of activities because my arms really have very little range of motion, uh, particularly my right one, which I'm right-handed. And, but at the same time, you know, it hasn't been particularly the highest use of priority for use of my, my time in the rehab front to focus on that because it doesn't affect a lot of what I do in the gym right now. So that's one of the things I'm excited to is dive back into and seeing how far I can make some progress with those. I've had surgery on both my arms and that's uh, received some benefit, but I can, I think with some dedicated 
work that I can actually enhance my, uh, my, my range of motion and quality of life with my, uh, with my arms. I had to learn to walk again. Uh, I still have neurological damage all the way down my left side. That from was that. a spine injury? Um, or just yeah, kind of, sort of. It's, it's a culmination of a number of different injuries that bound up the nerve. Mm. And I, I never published any of this stuff on social media, but I, I was training to deadlift a thousand pounds conventional. And so I was up to where I was deadlifting over 850 conventional three days a week uh, for six weeks straight. And I got a little out of position. My left glute was a little inflamed. And then I have a little pyroform. Yeah. And then uh, down the L4, L5 pathway, the L5 pathway, uh, which went through the peroneals. I had some past uh, very major muscle tears near detachments and lots of scar tissue already. And so the nerve just got, and then I got a little out of position with the bar hanging out front with like 880. And I went home going, Ooh, a little sore. And three hours later I couldn't walk and I couldn't move for a couple of weeks. I was in a walker after that. I had drop foot for about four months. And then I decided to squat 800 pounds every day for 30 days. <laughs> um, yeah. What a what a natural progression. Which was literally four months after I learned to walk again. <laughs> okay, see. All right. We can just erase my whole backstory at this fucking point. <laughs> Jesus. I was really excited to curl fifteen pounds coming back from my spine injury. <laughs> like fuck. Dang man, that's I, I have a belief and I also have I also have the resources and the and the ways. Uh yeah. to accomplish stuff. Like this is uh, I don't know. People be surprised you know the amount of actual <laughs> tools and approaches uh, that uh, that we use on things, but uh, there's some really powerful stuff out there. No, and, and I, I think it's like you said; it's maybe not just one, but a culmination of everything. And it's, yeah, I believe there's that. I mean, all of us as dudes, and there's nothing like there's nothing like sitting down and talking about you know old warrior injuries and fucking having a little bit of whiskey and talking shit. How you you know <laughs> I blew out my knee and now I'm fighting for your freedom kind of shit. Yeah. But there's also a difference between wearing it in the sense of an a, almost a prideful foolish way where you think it's great or more of a this is what happens this is a consequence this is there's no excuses this is just the way it is and so on and so forth and i and it it comes off that way and that's important for people to see that um that you're not making excuses you're not necessarily telling everybody this is the best way to do things um but yeah it's a culmination of stuff and i was one of my personal that was a personal question i always ask every experienced lifter i've ever met um every single time how they've overcome injuries. And that's, I think it's important because of the heavy psychological burden that it has, not so much the physical. Um, yep. And that just, a feeling Oftentimes the injuries create a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, drive for me. Mm. You know, one of the first major injuries I had was detaching two heads of my pack. Yeah. And, and that was my left pack. So they were surgically reattached to put in uh, three titanium studs into my arm and uh, hooked them back up, and they told me, you'll never be as strong as you were before. Your competitive days are probably behind you, and it's going to be a year before you can lift heavy again. And that lit a fire so hard under my ass that uh, at nine months post-surgery, so you can imagine when I was actually training and benching and doing all this stuff, nine months post-surgery, I set the fourth highest all-time geared total in the 220 class. Fuck yeah. 
Jeez. So I, I really was pushing things on every every resource that I have on the rehab front. But clearly, I was training before nine months at a pretty heavy level. If I was already right, right. I was at that. Time. Yeah, that would that wasn't year one, Duffin. That was definitely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it, it used me like I'm like I'm gonna overcome this, and I was stronger post. Like I've never it that injury is like literally has had zero effect on me when they said it was going to be, you know, basically change my outlook on training in life. And, and it's had no effect whatsoever on me. There's a little bit of limited, uh, shorter range of motion. Most people would never even notice, but with some assessments, I can bring it out uh, because obviously it's shorter. They pulled the, you know, they detached it and put a knot at the end of the, uh, the tendon and the humerus. So there's a little bit, shorter t- uh, tissue there yeah and, and that just here's a, a good one for me and a lot of my lifters and all a lot of us um coming back from injury and stepping back on the same movement or the same particular pattern that fucked you up in the first place um and it's like you said there is a real fear and i'm this is tell me if i'm wrong what i'm gathering from our conversation Ooh, I, i've got i've got a great story on that yes <laughs> yes, down, please, bro. yes please yes <laughs> please so this is, uh, this is earlier 2000. So this is back in the, uh, geared benching days or geared lifting days. Right. And I, uh, I showed up at this meet. I hit a big squat, got my opener bench and my second attempt, the bar, it was like six, it was 600 pounds. And I got, I pressed it all the way up to lockout, but the bar was too far in the back of my wrist. And it basically popped off the back, you know, rolled out of my fingers, uh, which obviously put a huge strain on the, on the, uh, on my wrist and elbows as it went off the back and fell on my face. The spotters were slow to catch it. There's no spotter stand. So I literally turned my head because I saw it coming down. And so it hit me in the, the, the right next to my eye, right there on my skull. And luckily it was, it was a, a meet for Ryan Canelli to set some bench record at. And he had this super thick, soft pad. So I think that helped absorb some of the energy so that my skull didn't crack. And, uh, they pulled it off me and everybody's running over and they're like, what are you going to do? Thinking like, do you need to go to the hospital? Yeah, you almost just died. Uh, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going up to the table. They're like, why? Like, I have to enter my third attempt. So I walked over the table and I set the, I set the, I, 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 I moved it to 630 pounds or 650 pounds. And there's video of this floating around the internet. It's all grainy, you know, potato phone video from back <laughs> in the day. But, uh, and you can see the 600 hitting the face, but there's no video at all when I went for the 650 because nobody in the room would film it. Because they were too fucking nervous. So I got under it and benched it, and people were like, why did you do that? And I'm like, if I didn't get back there right now and recover and own that, that's going to mess with my head for years to come. I'm going to have that in the back of my head when I've got the opportunity to clear and reset that that paradigm right now. And that's exactly what I did. Fuck. 
that's yeah. a story. Dude. You know yeah, what, seriously. man? I, you know why I asked that, and I, and I, it's a personal thing. I tore my bicep in 2018, coming back into strongman on nothing. Uh, I was just a free mm-hmm. one, and going back into stones has been some shit that has just been in my head. And I, I went try to get back into it early last year, and it's like, oh man, suddenly the left one started hurting the the good one, and. It's been a mental journey, and I think a big reason why I wanted to speak with you today, aside from just all the information that we've had, is that watching you come back from injury and your resiliency and just the courage aspect and the psychological aspect, which I've I fancy myself pretty fucking good at, but this one particular one has been a great one to carry, and just, just listening to you talk about this has been an inspiration of mine. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass, it's just generally hearing that, because I do want to tackle the 300-pound stone again. It's something that's been... And it's just a bicep tendon. And, and I just look take at time. It. I mean, that was that was one of the slowest recoveries I ever had was tearing an adductor in a meet. I was uh, trying to show off and uh, went super deep uh, at this meet uh, for Steve Dennison. Um, yeah. Because uh, his judges were giving me white lights, and I personally asked him, like, how's that? That depth <laughs> just to, like, just to uh, show he'd give me a hard time about my depth every now and again. He's like, ah, still a little bit deeper. Mm. needs to go a little deeper. I'm like, oh, okay. okay. Well, the judges all give me life, but I'm going to fucking make a point on this third one. I walked out there and just took it to the floor. Unfortunately, you know, an 800-plus pound rock squat training outside of the range of motion that you normally squat in shredded my adductor, and the bar spit off my back, and I went shooting out of the crowd screaming. Ugh. And the, the recovery went pretty well because there was no detachment or anything. It was tearing in the belly, but it was a year and a half at least before I didn't think about an adductor shredding running through my mind on the defense of every head heavy squat that I had. So it was really a year and a half before I actually mentally recovered from that one. Fuck. Yeah. I feel you on that one. Dude. So, that's they, so I know the other side of it. I'm like, wow, I really did make the right choice on that bench because that was like nothing. I was back training. I mean, my wrist was jacked up and my elbow were jacked up. Uh, from dumping that off the back like they were, and my face was swollen and bruised. But, <laughs> but you know, I was back training, and it was a not complete non-issue where this other one, you know, I recovered really quick from, but, man, it took forever to get that out of my head. And you, uh, you can't go heavy on a squat and with without confidence. Right. Like, you're, I couldn't take those heavy squats because I would miss them because I was thinking about this. And it, 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 that's the, the like that's the 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 lingering injuries that mental scar that yep. mental part of it. Yeah. Um, and so we we're kind of nearing towards the end of our show, and it's been it's been a fucking ride. And I, I want to thank you again for sitting with us on a on a Sunday to chill out with us. Um, and there's one thing I I want to ask you a couple last things, and then we'll just uh, we'll clear it out just to kind of give you a guideline of where we're at. You are. You mentioned that this was your last feat of strength, as far as this is concerned. And I'm, unless you want to do, unless you want to disclose with us what's going next, I'm not going to push you on that one. I do want to know why it's your last one. Is it because this is it? Like you've you've met what you think you've needed to do as far as not to prove anything more? Is it an age or an injury thing? I'm just really curious. When somebody with so many accolades and success, and really it just seems like limitless potential as far as strength that you can do when did you why or what made you decide this particular next path like look i'm good doing feats of strength possibly for now or forever yeah so 
there's definitely some reasons. A lot of them are a bit health related. So, um, I, I have, uh, a pretty significant, uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, I've got a pretty significant, um, uh, genetic disorder, um, uh, that is also turned into, uh, some, uh, uh, disease as well. So, uh, I've got an autoimmune disease, uh, as well. So that Hashimoto's disease, which is uh, manageable, but the bigger issue is the, uh, genetic disorder that, uh, uh has, it interferes with my autonomic nervous system. So it's really the switching between sympathetic and parasympathetic sides of the nervous system. And, and there's a lot of issues with that. So, um, without diving into it, essentially if I don't make some major changes at reducing really high intensity things in my life, uh, I have a, it will have a significant impact on both my quality of life as well as my longevity. So people with this, uh, with this issue die young, uh, a lot of times. And so I, I've been doing a lot of research and working with some people and understanding ways to, I can't mitigate, I can't make it go away, but I can minimize the effects of it. Um, arguably it's the reason that I'm able to do some of the things that I do, um, because of heightened neurological abilities, but, um, but, uh, there's a certain point of my life. I just have to, uh, make that decision if I really, you know, care about, uh, care about my body and my life. And, uh, you know, I've got three kids, young wife and, turning 43 and also combine that with, Hey, if I've squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds for reps. So this is kind of the whole intent behind the grand goals is I picked the grand for a reason. It's a very identifiable number. If I did 990 pounds for, 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 for reps, it wouldn't mean a lot. Right. If I came back to do this feat and I did it a thousand fifty pounds, it really wouldn't mean much more. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's a point that I squat and deadlift a thousand pounds for reps. It's really freaking hard to top that one. I don't know how I would go about topping that or how I would go about taking it to the next level. And if I did, it would put a lot more demands on my body beyond, uh, what I think I, I can tolerate. So, so I'm taking a, a purposeful shift in my training, but I'm also, like I said, I understand what my values are and what lifting has been and a, a, a way for me to express that. So, you know, for the future, for me, I still going to be lifting. It's going to be a lot of things like clearing up a lot of the issues that I've accumulated through the years and allow me a lot more time to create content to help other people. Um, so I see, uh, you know, it's my training actually, you know, cuts in when I'm doing these things. There's not a lot of, it limits the, you know, activities I do in the rest of my life when I'm in these periods. And so there's a lot of hobbies and things that I want to, uh, that I, that I'm involved with that I, I want to, to, to finish. Um, I've got this incredibly epic vehicle that I've been building for over 10 years. It's a one of a kind, uh, thing. And so I want to get that done this year and actually get out and start, uh, uh, Baja racing it and rock climbing it and doing all those sorts of things. I'm working on my pilot's license with my wife and really trying to get involved with uh, getting some of her projects and things off the ground. 
uh, which I'm really excited about. And yeah, just, uh, I'm going to be more involved with my business, more involved with my content, more involved with my life's projects and, and, uh, creating some more time to, to push and chase my other side hobbies, uh, as well. So that's, that's, that's the focus of what's going forward. So it's really kind of shifting the training. And I, like I said, it's, it's going to be pretty hard to top what I did. So, uh, it, when I take that reflection with the fact that I actually need to make some changes for my health issues, it's a pretty, pretty easy call. Yeah. And you, honestly, you sound like a man satisfied. Yeah. Um, and I think that's hard to hear nowadays for a lot of us. Um, speaking of an athlete or just a man in general, it's hard to hear that in today's society where there people are just really, I mean, I've always said it's okay to be satisfied with being unsatisfied in a sense of a positive perspective, yep. but it's not okay to just sound unsatisfied and just hearing yep. you talk, it just sounds like you're ready for the next step. And I thought that was very important because I think all of us face this cross. Yeah, it doesn't mean not push. It doesn't mean not pushing myself or doing Correct. all those things that we've talked about in this podcast they're just going to be in completely different veins and avenues right. than that, that specific realm. I don't need to lift big to prove a point anymore or stay relevant or do any of that stuff. Um, I'm good. And once I, you know, once I accomplish this, like that's pretty freaking epic. It's something I've been working for, for a long time. Yeah, man. Fuck yeah. That was <laughs> for reps. Pretty dope, man. And, uh, and I, that's kind of where I wanted to uh, kind of, touch base and kind of wrap the whole show up together is really going back over my notes and just hearing you talk and obviously all the the previous podcasts but mostly what we've said today is the point of stepping forward into the dark but with a plan of attack so even though it's fear there's still a calculated plan where you're not being careless uh something you've told us here on the podcast is without a plan then it is truly just recklessness and that fear will take hold rather than having courage, having a confident plan of attack is, yeah, you do feel the fear, but it's not controlling you. It's not the GPS per se. And I think it's been a, a just a pleasure listening to you mention all this, mention all this stuff. And personally on our level, we want to say thank you for, for coming to the podcast and, and giving us your time, your insight and your perspective. Hearing that last bit about just the way you're saying it so confidently um, about quote unquote your shortcomings and, and leaving the sport but instead they just sound like motivators into something great into a new task has been fucking cool man yeah and um i just wanted to say thank you from all of us here at the battle axe gym um johnny if you have anything to say yeah uh, actually just wanted to say that i'm really glad that you decided to do the book um i listened to it on audio and i think you did a great job especially with the challenges of having to hear your own voice which we love to hear ourselves talk here, but I hate I hate hearing myself. <laughs> Me too, bro. I'm not gonna hear this. I'm gonna, I, bro. I hate it. <laughs> but uh, it's excellent, and uh, yeah, I, I connected a lot with it, um, especially uh, in terms of like growing up. We had similar situations growing up, although not the exact same. I wasn't holding rattlesnakes at six years old, but uh, I definitely could relate to a lot of things that you said, and um, it opened a lot of doors for me uh, psychologically, which. Uh, it has helped and um, I'm working on it. So thank you so much for, for being here with us. It means a lot. Thank you. I appreciate all those words. I mean, it makes me feel good about uh, the choices that I've done uh, made in my life to allow me to have these conversations because I, I really am trying to positively impact people. That's, that's my goal. Man, we thank you. If there's anything you want to say, any closing remarks or where to find you, um, you can go ahead right now and then we'll, I'll do a small little touch up at the end to thank you. Yeah. So 
nice central resource that houses like uh, Buki Strength, Build Fast, uh, my book, uh, Barefoot Athletics. It's just so the ChristopherDuffin.com. So there's not a whole lot there. Uh, it just kind of links to the different projects and stuff that I do. But if you want to uh, download the audiobook for free, there's actually a way to do that on there. If you don't have a, an Audible account, uh, it's set up to allow you to get my book and another book for free by signing up for an account. Or you can just pay or do whatever whatever works best for you. I don't care. <laughs> uh, the uh, social media platforms I interact on is really uh, Instagram, which you can just type in Chris Duffin, but uh, it's mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin, uh, and LinkedIn. So LinkedIn seems a little odd, but I deal with a lot of uh, you know sports teams, professionals, and stuff like that, and just a better medium than, uh, let's say, Facebook, which is really, I don't spend any time on anymore. Um, <laughs> and let's see, Kabuki Strength is a, an incredible resource. So just K-A-D-U-K-I strength.com if you want to check that out. We do have an incredible Instagram account uh, for Kabuki Strength. So we've got a couple of them. But the one I really recommend checking out is our, our educational platform one. And we drop uh, free content on this one almost daily. So, and that's Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. Not sure how we picked that name, but it's basically <laughs> just our educational uh, uh, one. So Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. If you're not following that one, you really need to. That's where, you know, my Instagram, my stuff, what I'm doing, my life. Um, but the coaching one there has like all of the coaches and myself uh, where we're dropping our educational content. We've got a company accounts and all that with, uh, if you want to see, what we're doing as a company and products and services and all that stuff too, uh, on another one. So, but, uh, those I'd really, uh, really encourage people to check out. But again, you can find everything on Christopher Duffin.com as well. Well, man, thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go ahead here and I hope that you guys write that stuff down. Cause it's something that I do follow. Both of us follow yep. this information 100%. and I've been doing it for years. Actually, I've been watching the, since the old gym, since now, Yes, it's not. <laughs> um, but um, just for all our listeners, thank you for writing along with us. I think it's a, a couple of things of importance that hit me personally on, on just all sorts of levels. Chasing dreams with a purpose, understanding um, just exactly where you're flying, that the only things that hold you down are yourself, mentioning the tattoos and embracing your fear. We touch base on so many things that I think would hit home to all our listeners living on the edge of pain and practicing or the practice of living fear. I think it's important for all of us that are listening today to understand that this podcast continues to transcend the gym, the barbell and the iron. And we understand that how we live our lives as athletes and strength athletes should be indicative of the warrior mentality outside of the gym. So we want to thank Chris Duffin. I want to thank my host, John Banks, who provided an awesome outline for me and has been the backbone of this show for many, many episodes. We want to say thank you for listening to the Battle Axe podcast, telling you, as always, don't be a pussy. Everything ends.